My mother was a woman of tremendous integrity. My mother was curious, protective, unflappable, loyal, complicated, powerful, honest, lyrical. She is devoted, resilient, dazzling, giving, extraordinary. She used to every night, she would empty his pockets of change and she collected all the chains and she said, she claims she got all their furniture for the first house with his change. This is Our Mothers Ourselves, and I'm your host, Katie Hapner. It's Sunday, May 9th, 2021, and happy Mother's Day. I wanted to let you know that starting today, we're bringing you the Mother Mine miniseries from producer Katie Semro, right here on the Our Mothers Ourselves feed. Mother Mine is about our mothers and how they've shaped us, and it'll be coming to you over the next few months as 75 short episodes in the voices of people from around the globe. Both of us, Katie's, hope you'll listen along in the exploration of who our mothers are and who we've become because of them. Also, I have a busy summer ahead of me. I'm launching a new podcast series called Lost Women of Science. So Katie's going to step in from time to time over the summer and host our mothers ourselves. She'll be bringing her own talent as an interviewer and as an astute observer of the ecstasy and occasional agony of being a mom. Katie's also going to host our annual celebration of a great dad on Father's Day. Today's episode is a personal one. You're going to hear a spirited interview with my two sisters-in-law, Lori Wolfson and Andrea Wachter as we celebrate the multiple maternal gifts of their mother, Bernice Wachter, who also happens to be the mother of my husband, Bob Wachter. For all the years I've known Bernice and her kids, I've admired the whole gang. So, Andy and Lori, thank you so much for coming on to Our Mothers Ourselves to talk to me about your mom and my mother-in-law. Bernice Wachter. Pleasure to be here. Well, this is unusual because I know her pretty well. And uh, I was thinking about this. This is going to mark the year anniversary of Our Mothers Ourselves. And I got this idea a year ago when I was covering COVID for the New York Times and I was really depressed and the whole thing was just so upsetting. And I thought I want to do something uplifting. And I thought, okay, what do I, oh, I know a little bit about mothers. And I thought, I want to do a podcast that celebrates extraordinary mothers. And from what I can tell, I mean, I'm pretty much just an observer of her as a mother. She's a great mother-in-law, but I, she didn't raise me. So I thought it would be great to talk to you two about her and her life and what she was like as a mom and the ways in which you see yourselves in her and the way it's influenced your own parenting. So one thing that I do at the very beginning, which actually is already pre-baked into this, is I have that little word montage at the beginning. And both of you have given me a word. So for all you listeners out there, the word from Lori was protective. Protective. Yeah. Yeah. She is and very then, protective. Oh, yeah. And from Andy... Was it loyal? Yes. 
Yeah, that's right. It was a while ago that you guys did this. I take it you still stand by your words? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, good. So let's start at the beginning. And at the very beginning, of course, is the beginning of your mom's life. So tell me when she was born, where she was born, who her parents were. She was born in Brooklyn, the second child, second daughter of Adele and Julius Steinhauer. She was born in, she might not like this, but I'll tell you her age. She was born in 1936 and she was born to very working class people, a very working class family, an old fashioned Jewish family. They all lived near each other. All the relatives lived down the street or nearby. Her father was a tailor and her mother also worked as a tailor from time to time. And then her uncle had a candy store and she worked there for a long time when my mother was growing up. Did they come from Eastern Europe? They both came from Poland. Yeah, from Eastern Europe. So your mom's parents... Came, mm-hmm. Both came from Poland. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And when, when did they come over? And They came right before the mm-hmm. war, met each other in the States, not, not in Europe. They came through Ellis Island and separately and met here in, the, in New York. But they, you know, they also both lost a lot of people in the Holocaust during the war mm. who did not escape or did not leave for whatever reasons. Then they, they raised their two daughters my aunt and uh, my mother in Brooklyn. In what part of Brooklyn? In Bensonhurst. And when they came through Ellis Island, did they change their name? Well, one was Rothenberg and one was Steinhauer. I don't believe they did. Mm -hmm. And what do you know about kind of the circumstances or what it was like or the mood of uh, Bensonhurst in Brooklyn back then? Well, it was very... Very, you know, the tight, tight neighborhoods. Very, everybody lived very close to each other. My mother was recently telling me that she and her sister had to cross a very big highway, Belt Parkway, to go to school. And my grandmother would walk her every day, walk mm-hmm. the two of them every day. And finally, my grandfather said, you know, he can't have his daughters crossing that street anymore. They were going to move to a house on the other side of Belt Parkway. So they moved and it was a two family house and these other people lived upstairs and the owner of the house shortly after said to them, I want to sell the house. Do you want to buy it? And if you don't buy it, basically you have to move. And my grandfather couldn't afford it at the time. The house was, was on the market for $10,000, if you can imagine So he asked his sister-in-law and brother-in-law, my grandmother's sister, Aunt Anna and Uncle Alex, if they wanted to buy it with them and move upstairs because the upstairs neighbors didn't want to buy it and stay. So they did. And they they each took out a mortgage to pay the $5,000 to move into the house. So my mother grew up with her aunt and uncle and cousins upstairs. Wow. Which, so um, really, real yeah, family real all family. around. Yeah, exactly. It was instilled in her from an early age that mm-hmm. family matters a lot, right? Yeah. I mean, my, my great-grandmother, who actually lived to be 101, lived down the street. And so where did she go to school? 
Well, Brooklyn. she went to Lafayette High School mm-hmm. in in Brooklyn, which mm-hmm. is no longer there anymore, and graduated with honors in typing. Typing. And she, really? typing. And How she, fast did she? I have no oh. idea. It's a good question. She could not afford to go to college. And soon after, met my dad. And she married on her 19th birthday. Wow. And so how was, did she meet your dad? That was a setup, I think. That was a, a blind setup. date. Yeah. <laughs> really? A blind date, yeah. Really? And do you know how the date went or what they did on the date? I think they went dancing. Do you know, Lori? Oh, sweet. I didn't know. I think they went dancing and I think she was assertive. She was like, when are you going to ask me out? And eventually, when are we going to get married? And he was Wait, still so they sowing went, his oats. So so there, he was sowing his oats older than her. And yes. how many years? Is he four years? Six four, years older? Six years old. Okay. Six years so, older. All righty. And so he, there he is, uh, sowing his oats. She um, said he had shiny shoes. So she really liked that. I think she thought that meant he was he had some money or something. And well, his family owned a, a clothing manufacturing company. So it was interesting because her father always loved the union because it, it gave him job security and support. And her now new husband and his family hated the union because it it, it caused anguish for the boss and his family ah. was was the boss, not, not directly of each other, mm-hmm. but in, mm-hmm. you know, in theory. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she was a sort of said, when are we, so they were dating and then she's like, when are we going to get married? Yeah. I don't know how long they dated though. Did they date for months or do you know how long they dated? Not less than a year. So they settled down to, in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn. Isn't there mm-hmm. some story that at the wedding, the elevator got stuck and she thought he wasn't showing up or is that? Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. The elevator got stuck and my grandmother, my mother's mother turns to her and she says, when, when one train leaves the station, another one will arrive soon. <laughs> Meaning he's stood. Meaning if he's no good, she'll find another one. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> That also sounds like something your mother would say oh, later. Of course. She's, of course. she's very much like her mother. Oh, sweet. Okay. So they. Well, her the, a story oh. that I, we think is kind of interesting is that there was uh, a third pregnancy, and my grandmother had an illegal abortion after my mother because, and never told her, her husband because they couldn't afford another child. And my mother didn't find that out until she was an adult. And her mother shared that with her, oh, which wow. I, I think goes to her character, you know, goes to my grandmother and how mm-hmm. strong and independent she mm-hmm. was for a t- mm-hmm. at a time when you really couldn't be. And she never told your grandfather. No. Mm-mm. And it was all back then. It was all about money. It was all about not being able what to you, afford what, to have a kid. What you can afford. Yeah. What you can afford. Uh, when we're talking about America at a time when the success of generations you know, and improved on the generations that came before them. So I'm assuming that they thought that they would give their kids kind of a more plentiful life, would you yeah. say, than they got? Well, they moved, they first lived in a little one bedroom apartment and had your husband there. They wanted to have more children and, and move out of Brooklyn. So they bought a home in Long Island in a little town called North Belmore. And my all my grandparents cried because they thought they'd never see them again. Our mother didn't have a phone in her home until she was 15. 
because my grandfather had a heart attack and they realized it was important to have a phone. So that was the first time they had a phone. They never had a car. So they thought moving to Long Island was equivalent to moving, you know, across the ocean. So your brother was born in Brooklyn and you two were born on Long Long Island? Island. Oh, so then they had, so it was kind of the American dream, basically. It was. Uh, So your dad was doing work as a... They had a family business for clothing in Manhattan. Oh. So that's what he did. He was at the factory, kind of the, he called himself the shipper, the shipping clerk. Uh And then his brothers were at the showroom Mm -hmm. kind of doing the fancier stuff. And your mom was raising the kids. She was raising the kids. She dabbled in some jobs. She did volunteer stuff. And then she, Mm -hmm. I think before us, she modeled a little bit for the business, Mm -hmm. for the Mm -hmm. the clothing business. She also um, used to sell some of his clothing in the basement for women in the neighborhood to make money. Really? And she dabbled. I don't know how old we were, but she got a job for, I remember learning the the name, an oro-roto-laryngologist. And he died. Oh, an ear, nose, and throat. An ear, nose, and and he died like the first week or something, so or the first day maybe. So we joked that she thought she might have had a part in him dying, but she didn't. <laughs> but that was her short-lived work. <laughs> like she gets there, he dies. Oh, I killed exactly, him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can just see her saying that. Yeah. <laughs> well, when they moved to Long Island, she thought you know they they took every single penny they had to to put a down payment on this house and. She asked my dad if maybe, you know, once a month they could get like takeout Chinese food because she figured they'll never, ever be able to afford to eat out again. So takeout Chinese was like the pinnacle of. Oh, yeah, that was it. Right. (laughs) Takeout Chinese, not going out. Right. Because then they'd have to get a babysitter. Yeah, right. Right. She used to every night she would empty his pockets of change and she collected all the chains and she said she claims she got all their furniture for the first house with his change. She always was extremely frugal. And I certainly feel that. I think we all do from so her. So she's like, hey, change adds up. Is that? That's what? exactly. She said, people throw away pennies. They add up. They add up. Yeah. And was, was he chiding her for taking the change? No, he thought it, it was oh, no, great. He, yeah. He thought it was great. Okay. Yeah, they both did. Yeah. They're both very, very similar. With that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That could be, you know, the way they grew up, that could be a cultural thing that, mm-hmm. you know, when you grow up a really modest means, you're kind of always watching your... Absolutely. Well, and the parents lived through the depression that. and, and yeah. were affected by that. And yeah, definitely. We joke about that now that, oh, that's just, that's your depression mentality when, you know, you think you can't, you shouldn't get new sneakers or you can't afford... Right. You know, to stock up on the food or whatever it is. It's hard to lose that. So it might have mattered to her all the more that she give her kids more than she got. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. They have been so generous. She is so generous. Plus, they put a very, very big value on experiences and not Mm -hmm. as much on material things. Like we traveled. As soon as we got, you know, some money, we would we would go on vacations and not lavish. You know, we, she jokes that, you know, the neighbors had Gucci luggage and we had Lark, but we had Lark because we liked to go on vacations. When I see your mom and the very first time I met her, she's like incredibly smart. She's really quick and not just that she has a great sense of humor. 
I mean, I love nothing more than making her laugh. And so as you were watching this woman sort of navigate her way through life, first of all, as a mother, what are your memories of her, you know, with maternal affection and just knowing that she loved you? I have so many memories of her holding me, tickling my arm, taking every problem so seriously. If there were from from a school project to emotions to schlepping me all over the place for, you know, lessons of some sort, or if there was some new boot that a friend had or a new pair of jeans that a friend had, rushing me to the mall to get it. She really took every problem and every issue very seriously. And mm-hmm. and was that's you know, it was just so devoted. And yet not she didn't speak spoil you. No, not spoiled. I would say maybe doted and uh-huh. and adored. There was this this story in my family where she a teacher poked me in the chest. It was must have been elementary school. So she poked me on the chest for some reason. Maybe that's when I broke bad. I think I was really good for a while and then something <laughs> happened. But she poked me in the chest and I went home and I said to my mom, Mrs. So-and-so poked me in the chest and she got in the car and drove to school and poked her in the chest. She said, if you ever touch, lay a finger on my daughter again. So, I mean, that would not oh, go wow. over well today with the school board, but that kind well, of... Well, the teacher would be arrested. The for teacher one would be arrested. My mom would probably be arrested. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, she... What she, a story. So yeah. really fear... Well, what you said, Lori, really fiercely protective. Yes. yes. Ma- yeah. Mama bear. Mama Total bear. mama bear. Right, right, right. And how about you, Lori? How about your memories of her and her love? And like Andy said, she, you know, like junior high, I think it was, I was going through this phase of trying to find myself and she took me, you know, I loved ice skating. So she gave me ice skating lessons or ceramics mm-hmm. or jewelry making or all these different kinds of things. But she was supportive of of all these crazy things that I, I was doing. And, and I think basically I was trying to figure out what I loved, what I was good at. And then I started hanging out with a crowd that was kind of skipping school and not, you know, not the smartest group. And Mm -hmm. she grabbed my uh, best friend's mother and the two of them were in cahoots and said, we got to get them like doing something more constructive. And she found this like Zionist youth group that, that they both took us to. And the first meeting had a, a cute boy. So we said, all right, let's stay. So <laughs> we're in, <laughs> we were in. And it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I went to camp with, you know, with this organization. I went, lived in Israel for a while with this organization. So it was really, really a mm-hmm. wonderful pivot in my life that right. she, she made happen. Mm-hmm. So she kind of knew just what to do at just the right moment. And Andy tell me, well, I also was pretty lost, as most young kids get. Mm-hmm. And I was working at a stereo store in New York, and I loved it. It, was, it wasn't my first job, but I loved having a job, and I loved having independence, and I had a boyfriend that worked there, and I didn't want to go to college. I was partying, I was having my money, and I, I just wanted to stay on Long Island and work at Crazy Eddie's. And then I was adamant about not going to college. I just, I hated school and I just kind of wanted to party and be free. And she just would have nothing of it. She filled out my college applications. I said I would be willing to go to like a local college, a community Uh college. Uh She filled out my application. She said, we are getting you out of this 
town. You know, you're not going to live on, you know, marry this guy and work in a stereo store. And I went off. I went to Syracuse University and eventually Boston University. And she she got me in there too into into BU. Wait, so you tra- so you decided I don't like Syracuse. It wasn't that I didn't like it. I was really struggling with drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol, so I was just really really uh, mm-hmm. a mess. And I was going to drop out. And, and I she, went and uh-huh. visited my sister who was at BU. And my mom said, you know, go visit Lori. She's in an apartment. We'll help you get an apartment oh. in her building. I don't even know oh. how I how it wow. happened. I hated school. But I went, I went to BU, mm-hmm. somehow miraculously stayed mm-hmm. in that apartment in, in Lori's building and mm-hmm. somehow miraculously graduated. And anyway, she she just was very smart, very strong-willed and had kind of, I mean, I could have said no and I could have just mm-hmm. not done it, but she she had a sense. So she just always somewhat psychic, somewhat strong, somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, just knowing us and it, it, yeah. it worked a lot of the times. So she has a very, you... very clear sense of what feels right and what doesn't. But it, she wanted us to appreciate all the good things that she has learned over the years without having to go through the hardships. And I appreciate like like sending us to college. Like she didn't yeah. get to go to college. And I think it was really important for her that mm-hmm. her all her children go to college and all three right. of us have gone not just to college to graduate school as well yeah. as well but i think for her it, it was so clear that that was the correct right. path and you know th- there would have to have been really extenuating circumstances for a, one of us to not do that mm-hmm. um, yeah. she was supportive though i i spent my first year in of college in israel and didn't go straight to school so in that case, she she was supportive of that, but it was on the condition that I come back mm-hmm. right. and go to college. Well, it's like mm-hmm. she knew when to push. She knew to say, right. you know, go to Israel, start try this group, or to me, you know, try this grad school, or, but also when to allow. Like I moved out west and worked on ranches. That was unthinkable to her that I would go do that. So that balance of letting us do our own thing, but then also taking uh-huh. a stand and saying, you will have a better better chances in life if you have a degree. You know, if you finish college, we will help you and support you to go do your mm-hmm. cowgirl thing. If you don't, you know, you're you know, <laughs> cowgirl good luck. <laughs> okay. So the cowgirl theme, just uh, we'll get to that in a sec. But so Lori, you're a teacher and Andy, you're a therapist. And tell me about the role your mom played in your becoming a therapist and throw the cowgirl story in there for me. Well, once again, it was her idea. It was like, it was her idea that I go to Syracuse University and her idea that when I, and, and of course I did my own thing once I was there. She doesn't, she didn't mm-hmm. control everything I did. Probably would have been better off if she had, but the becoming a therapist, I was so done with school when I graduated BU, barely, I don't no idea how. And I had gotten into horseback riding and was going to just be deterred. I was determined. I was going on cowboy rides with my dad and I was just determined to just move out West, get away from New York and love nature and loved horses and just wanted to kind of get away and kind of be a cowgirl. And I did that. I worked on a few different ranches at a few different places, Colorado and Arizona and got a horse. And that was my, that, that was my dream wow. was to be with nature and, and, your mom, what was her reaction to that? Oh, she was devastated. When oh, I first no. moved out west, she blamed my dad because he had 
kind of introduced me oh. to Western cowboy way. But anyway, she was the one that said, once I was living in a cabin on the top of a mountain, she said, you know, you've always been interested in people. You've always been good with people and people's feelings. Why don't you think about becoming a counselor? Mm-hmm. And that's when I said, great idea, but there's no way I'm going back mm-hmm. to school. And that's when she said, try one class, just one mm-hmm. class, because it'll be a topic you're interested in, mm-hmm. where everything else in school, I, I wasn't interested, I wasn't present hardly. And so I went and took a counseling class at a, mm-hmm. at a nearby graduate school, and I actually liked it for the first time. I cared what they were teaching, you know, I cared about wow. what they were teaching. Wow. And that's, then I went back to school, got my master's. Wow, so you have heard a thank. I have heard a thank for my career and uh, for a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of Bernice as a mother, I think this could be when I fell in love with your brother. I don't know. There, we have a lot of candidates for that. But this is, there's this one great Bernice story where he told me early on when we just started seeing each other, he was telling me about this surgery he had to remove his thyroid when he was in medical school. And your mom went down to Philly, which is where he was, and they were meeting with the surgeon. And the surgeon said to her right before the surgery, so where will I be able to find you after the surgery? And she said, just turn around and look behind you. Exactly. <laughs> That's so Bernice. It's yeah. like the story of every time we went on an airplane, she had to go into the cockpit and meet the pilot and co-pilot. And she said, why, you would get into a car without knowing who your driver is? <laughs> and she would walk in and she'd say, how's everybody? Did you have a good night's sleep? Did you have a good breakfast? And so we, before mm-hmm. every flight. So Andy, you don't have kids. And Lori, you have three daughters. What did you take away from her parenting that you really wanted to, to emulate as a mom? Of course, everybody sees, you know, the things that you wanted to to be like, and the things that, you know, you say, oh, I'll never do that. And, but I find there's so much more that I, that I do. And I say, Hmm, that was, that's like you said, that was something my mother would have said or Mm -hmm. things like that. My mother always felt that she could never be in the dark with her children. She said, I could handle anything that I know. I I just can't handle not knowing. And, you know, whatever it was, she said, I can handle it. We can, we can work it out. But if I don't know, then, then, you know, I'm walking blind. And, and I always felt that, and it's a hard, you know, as a parent, it's very hard to walk that balance of giving your children freedom to make their own choices and and to make their own mistakes. And that, and actually as a teacher, I know you learn much more from mistakes than you do from successes and it's it's tricky. I still struggle with it. My children are, you know, in their 30s and late 20s, and I still struggle with that balance. Mm-hmm. And then when you said in the dark, I really want to hear the light bulb and the money story. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> she, she always took care of my, my father took care of most of the money, but she had the checkbook. And she she would be much more the the fixer in the house, you know, light bulbs and and batteries and you know, she she knew where the the toolbox was. So she said if anything ever happened to her, my father would be penniless and in the dark. I love that. That's great. 
Mm-hmm. So, and she, so I take it she's, well, I know, actually, because I've witnessed, she's a remarkable grandmother, too. They call her, probably more than they call me, my three daughters all live in Manhattan, and she, my mother and father live in Florida. And uh, my mother will tell me, oh, your daughter's doing this tonight, or she has a date, or she's, and I say, oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know that. They, oh. they. I mean, they're very close to her, and, and I love that. My father also was, you know, he retired very young. He retired at 51, so he would spend a lot of time painting with them. And, and, you know, when we were growing up, he worked six days a week and she was busy raising her children. You know, I'd ask her, mom, what happened when the Beatles came? Were you really into it? And she said, I had three little kids in diapers. I wouldn't be, you know, I never got excited about the Beatles or those kind of (laughs) Uh things. And Uh so they worked very, they didn't, you know, always have the means to you know, to not spend a lot of time with us because they did, but, but they were, they were working. And now as grandparents, it's just extraordinary how much they love their grandchildren. Her name is Gomar. Why is it Gomar? Because Jenna, who was the oldest, for some reason, couldn't pronounce grandma. So she called her Gomar Bubula. Because oh. my mother always called her Bobola. Mm-hmm. So so she called her Gomar Bobola. Sweet. And it kind of stuck and then the Bobola kind of mm-hmm. disappeared. Sometimes it's Gom, sometimes it's G Dog. We kind of, they Gomi. shake it up. Yeah, Gomi. <laughs> okay, so, she, and they're in, okay, so they're in Florida and uh, your dad is failing. He's having a rough time and she's having a super rough time from what I can tell it must be hard to be that far away from her yeah it's very hard I mean I call daily and FaceTime all the time and it's it's very very hard and I have you know we have to sort of live with the choices we've made when I moved out west in my 20s I sure didn't think that through not that I would belong in Florida or New York anyway now Mm -hmm. but it's 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 a whole nother chapter of life that we just didn't plan on Mm -hmm. very hard yeah, it's hard to think about it until it happens. I right. mean, it's really... Thank God for technology, though, and the advances. Because seriously, like, seeing their faces or if they're having an issue with mm-hmm. the iPad, you know, they can't get into Netflix, as they call it. Then, <laughs> or book face. Could, or <laughs> book face. So we could, we could help them along, at least, with those kind of things. And then... They've had amazing, how many years there now? 40 years now in Florida. So mm-hmm. it's and how many years together? 66. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's very devoted to family, very devoted. I think it fills her the most, and she gives the most to it. Mm-hmm. So here we are. We're gonna. This is going to be aired on, on Mother's Day. Is there anything you want to say to her? I adore you. I appreciate you. I see you. I see your strength. I see your struggles. You are an amazing, strong, devoted woman, wife, mother, grandmother, friend, just an amazing mother-in-law, amazing woman. For her 85th birthday, I, I tried to list all of the sayings that she says that 
I now say, and I, I use them so much in my life. And I realize she's given me such wisdom, you know, stop and smell the roses. And, you know, like there's just so many that are my guiding light now, you know, Mm. that, that help me as a teacher and help me as a parent and help me as a wife that, that I think about, you know, mm-hmm. here's your hat, what's your hurry? Mm-hmm. And, I can see you're know, saying that. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so many that, that I just feel like she's always like in there when it, when, when I'm making decisions, you know, it's sort of like, what would Jack Bauer do? Mm-hmm. Would, what would Gomer do? Mm-hmm. Well, Andy and Lori, I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and talking talking to me about about this wonderful woman who is my mother-in-law and your mother thank you thank you for having me joining our family my pleasure (laughs) and that's it this week for our mothers ourselves our theme music is composed and performed by andrea perry paula manjin is our artist in residence and alice hudson and sophie mcnulty produced today's show our Mothers Ourselves is a production of Odredex Studios in San Francisco, and I'm your host, Katie Hafner. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Have a great week.